Welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara Setmayer. I am Tara Setmayer, where I say that telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Orwell. Well, I'm coming to you from Los Angeles, South, South, uh, Southern California, sunny California, where it never rains. I've been out here for a couple of days and, um, I was here for the Politicon conference. And for those of you who don't know, Politicon is sort of like Comic Con for politics, except people don't really dress up. Even though there were a couple of people running around in like George Washington and Abe Lincoln outfits. But for the most part, people don't dress up. But it's um, an interesting conference. It was my first time ever attending. And uh, a lot of my friends were on panels and things. I was not on a panel yet this year, but hopefully that will change next Politicon. Um, I made some, I made friends with the folks who put it on. So hopefully I get an invite next year. (laughs) But uh, this year it was, it was a great time to come out to LA and experience it. And um, I have to say that, well, as an East Coast girl, I can only take Los Angeles in spurts. No offense to my folks who live out here in California, who live on the West Coast, on the West Side. Um, I mean, I worked for a Congressman Rohrabacher for years in Orange County, which is beautiful, by the way. His district went from the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach down to Laguna Niguel one of the nicest districts in in the country. Uh, That's a little bit different. LA County is just busy. It's the traffic here is, I don't know how people deal with it. The traffic is enough to just stress you out. I I thought traffic in DC was bad. Uh, DC has nothing on the traffic here. There's like gridlock at two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Where the hell is everybody going? I don't know. (laughs) But I guess the trade-off is the weather because the weather has been spectacular here. Not a cloud in the sky for like four straight days. So um, while I've been, while I was at a Politicon, I ran into, like I said, a bunch of my friends and a couple of, couple of other interesting characters. Um, the interviews today coming up in a little bit, I interviewed my fellow CNN colleague, Amanda Carpenter. She wrote a great book called Gaslighting America, Why We Like It When Trump Lies to Us. Uh, we, she talks a little bit about that and about uh, a very eventful panel that she was on during Politicon. Um, and my really good friend, Sally Cohn, she is a progressive activist and writer. And she and I became really good friends during the 2016 campaign because we traveled the country doing college tours. We did like a point counterpoint type of program to show to show that you can ag- agree to disagree. You don't have to disagree and be disagreeable. I mean, we would we would have very spirited discussions because obviously I come from a conservative point of view. She comes from a progressive point of view, but we bond over both of us believing that common decency is something that should be binding us and it's in short supply. So Sally and I traveled all over the country in 2016 doing that. And uh, we reunited at the Politicon conference over the weekend. Um, and she, <laughs> it's a fun interview. She she and I, you'll enjoy it. She and I go back and forth. Our banter is priceless. And also there was a cameo, quick cameo with uh, James Carville. <laughs> you'll see in what capacity coming up in a little bit. 
Let's see who else at Politicon. What were some of the highlights? Um, well, so Politicon had a bunch of different panels with all kinds of different subject matters. And some of them were kind of provocative. And uh, what they had like a, they had a liberal moderate a panel on conservatives. What next? Uh, that was it. That was a fascinating panel. You had Chris Christie, Michael Steele, um, Charlie Kirk, who is uh, who runs this organization called Turning Point. Uh, it's uh, it's for the young Republicans. Basically, they are really well funded. Um, that's the organization that that Candace Owens is in. Also, they uh, I, I got to tell you, this is the first time I'd ever seen Charlie Kirk in public. He's got to be one of the most smug people ever. And they had they had the the audience packed with some of their turning point people, and they, you know it's just they're just obnoxious, a lot of talking points, a lot of you know we won you didn't, not a lot of substance, but they're getting a lot of funding. You know this is they're raising up the next generation of Trumpites, I guess. Uh, you know, I don't I don't like it. I don't like the attitude. There were a lot of Breitbart people there, and uh, my friend April Ryan. Uh, White House reporter, she got into a pretty heated exchange with um, one of the Breitbart reporters over misleading headlines that they have over at Breitbart about her. Cause she's been she's been a thorn in the side of the Trump administration. And anyone who watches the White House briefings, I'm sure, is familiar with April Ryan and um, some of the jabs back and forth between her and Sarah Sanders, and prior to that, Sean Spicer. And um, so that was that was a pretty heated panel. Uh, who else? Oh, you know something I found pretty interesting. I sat in on a on a panel discussion, and just like they had a like what's next conservatives, they had a what now liberals. And my friend Sher Michael Singleton, who is a black young black conservative, he uh, he's on MSNBC a lot. He also co-hosts a show on Vox called Consider It. He was he was moderating that panel and the audience was stacked with Bernie bros. They were the most obnoxious, rude people. I thought that Republicans, that we had our own infighting going on and our own, you know, with the whole Trump stuff. And and those of us who don't support Donald Trump, where where do we fit into the party and kind of this reckoning that we've been going through? Democrats y'all got problems too. (laughs) I was, I mean, we knew that there had been fractures in the Democratic Party, just based off of the last election, you could see the centrist wing and the Hillary folks versus the progressive wing and like the Bernie folks, the Elizabeth Warrens, the Cory Bookers, that wing of the party is really emerged. So there is a battle going on between the progressives and the moderates really no different than what happened with Republicans. But for Democrats, usually they coalesce and you don't really see the, the dirty laundry. Well, the panel, that panel was uh, fascinating. Um, Sally Cohn was on that panel, Zerlina Maxwell, um, a couple other uh, uh, Democrats, liberals that I'm, I didn't know because um, I don't really roll with them like that (laughs) but uh it was a mixture across the spectrum and Zerlina Maxwell she's a black female progressive she's on Sirius XM she worked for Hillary or worked on the campaign very accomplished and she was shouted down multiple times by these Bernie bros 
for making comments about what you know why she supported Hillary or why like just it didn't matter like they were screaming she's a centrist we don't care like it got to the point where Sally had to step in and she had to tell them all like cut it out you complain about the way that Trump people behave but listen to you look what you guys are doing you're shouting us down we're trying to have a discussion here and it was it was just a fascinating dynamic. They were really upset about the way that the Democrats set up their superdelegate system, which uh, for those who don't know, back in the during the well, the Democrats have had this in place for a little while, a couple of election cycles. But basically, they have these superdelegates that have more influence. Their, their votes are weighted more when selecting their presidential candidate at the convention. Republicans don't have this. We have people, you go through caucuses, you go through primaries and you win delegates and then you go to the convention and those delegates vote for the nominee. Democrats do it a little bit differently. And without the superdelegates, some say that Bernie Sanders had a better shot at taking out Hillary and that the and that the superdelegates pretty, pretty much stacked the, the vote for Hillary. So some of the more progressive uh, folks say, hey, this isn't fair. Like we... This is not right. So there was a fight about that. It was, but they changed the rules, by the way. The Democrats, they had no choice. However you feel about Bernie Sanders, he forced the Democrats to have to change the rules to make them a bit more fair. And it was just a very interesting dynamic. The Democrats have some issues internally. And I think you're going to see a fight between what can win elections versus some of the more um, ideological purists that want to take the party in a more progressive direction, even like the democratic socialist direction. That's only been overshadowed by, by Trump. It would be a bigger story if, um, if it weren't for just the, the chaos in the white house every day and the craziness that comes out of Trump's mouth. So that was interesting. Uh, Tommy Lahren was there. I did not go see her. I could care less. Dennis Rodman was there. Um, Torre, if you guys remember him from MTV, he was a VJ and, um, he's, you know, a journalist now he was on MSNBC for a couple of years. Uh, Torre, who's a, who's a nice guy. I'm going to get him on the podcast one day. He actually wrote a really cool book about Prince and, uh, he, he did the interview with Dennis Rodman. What a loon. I don't, I just don't know why we pay attention to Dennis Rodman. It, the panel was about North Korea. Because, you know, him and Kim, Kim Jong-un are like buds, which is so weird. Like he was hanging out with Kim Jong-un years ago before Trump was calling him Rocket Man or any of that. I don't know if anybody remembers a few years back, Dennis Rodman brought um, a delegation of NBA basketball players over to North Korea to play a charity game. And those poor players, Dennis Rodman did a press conference or an interview or something from there. And it was just so it was a like total propaganda. <laughs> And those poor NBA players, they had no idea what they had gotten themselves into. I don't know if they were current players. I can't remember if they were current or former, but they were all pro players at one point. And they looked like hostages. <laughs> they didn't know what to do. Oh, my God. But anyway, so, yeah, Dennis Robin was there. I uh, He was just a rambling mess. Just a rambling mess. I don't, I don't know why we pay any attention to him. Ben Shapiro, he was he was there. Uh, Tucker Carlson, you know, there was like a green room area 
where most of the talent congregated and I was in there with, you know, my, my folks, my friends. And so a bunch of people were in there and it took everything in me not to confront Tucker Carlson about the nonsense he, he talks about on his show and the fact that Fox attacked me for like five straight days over my Kanye comments, totally misconstruing what I said and not pointing out the fact that I'm actually a Republican. Um, but I didn't get the opportunity. I tr- I wanted to, but I just didn't think it was the time or place. Uh, Ben Shapiro, who I actually don't, I don't have a problem with Ben. Um, I actually agree with a a lot of the things that he says. I don't really understand why he's so controversial for so many people. Um, But he is, I guess he said some, a couple of obnoxious things over the years, but for the most part, I agree with him on conservative principles, but he attacked me too on Fox. He was part of the pile on and I saw him in the hallway and he travels with security, like a whole security contingent because he gets a lot of death threats. And so um, I didn't, I, I kind of yelled over to him and I said, hey, Ben Shapiro, Tara Setmayer here, you talked a whole lot about me and Kanye, you and I should talk one day and I'll give you the full context because we actually agree on some stuff. And he was like, oh, okay. He was in passing. I don't know if he even have heard me, but I couldn't approach him because he had a whole security thing going on. Yeah, that was, uh, it was, it was, it was interesting. It was an interesting conference. I'm glad I went. I'm glad I went. Um, there was a lot of bipartisan cross channel love. If you go on my Instagram or my social media, you'll see pictures of stuff. Let's see who else was there. Oh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Everybody remember him from La Bamba? He's been in a lot of movies, but to me, the greatest role he ever played was Richie Valens in La Bamba. And he is so nice. His what he was there with his wife and his daughter. Um, she's like 10. Her name is Indigo. She was so cute. She's like the biggest fan of CNN. She knows all the anchors, the rundowns, what time they're on. She came up to April Ryan and I, and she's like, April, I know you, Don Lemon, and you're on Don Lemon. She was so cute. And Lou Diamond Phillips was super nice. He's like, oh, I'm such fans of you guys. And, and then he, um, April Ryan said, no, I sing that. Come on, let's go song to my daughter at night. I love that song. He, I, I said, yeah, you should put it to like, come on, let's vote. So he did a little ditty with, uh, well, come on, let's vote. Let's vote now. It was so cute. I put the video on Twitter at Tara Setmayer. It's on my Twitter. I'll, I'll put it on the honestly speaking Twitter too. That's a honestly underscore Tara. So he was super, super cool. Who else was there? The Fonz. Henry Winkler. He is the sweetest guy. He talked to us. He gave me a big hug and kiss. He's another big CNN fan. And he was just a jolly fellow. He, him, his wife, his wife was there too. She was super nice. Just hanging out, talking to everyone. And a lot of people were, you know, fangirling over him because he's the Fonz from Happy Days. Now, some of you weren't even born when Happy Days was out. I was barely alive then. It came out like 40 years ago, but maybe even longer. But even still, it's an iconic show. And, you know, Chachi and Scott Bayo. I asked him what he thought about Scott Bayo. April Ryan and I were standing there and he gave a very diplomatic answer because Scott Bayo is a huge Trump supporter. He even spoke at the RNC. And so he said, well, you know, Scott's like family. He's my family, so that's what he chooses to do. I love him anyway. <laughs> so it was a very diplomatic answer. Uh, and and uh, Henry, he talks a little bit about, uh, he gives a little a brief statement, um, which will come up 
later. Actually, well, you know what? I can we can play it now. So this is what Henry Winkler had to say because he didn't really want to get too political. As you know, he's got this new show out called Barry. He won an Emmy for it for outstanding, I think, supporting actress actor in a comedy. I haven't seen the show yet, but I hear it's excellent. So he didn't really want to go there too much with the political stuff, but he did have this to say briefly. He gave a brief statement. Check it out. I am shocked that people say to uh, LeBron James, oh, just shut up and dribble. Or to an actor, what do you know? Why don't you just go back to Hollywood? We are Americans first. We are alive on the planet. We live here. How is your idea better than my idea? We're all living on the same earth. Yes. I think you're nuts. Thank you. So, yeah, so Henry, Henry Winkler, he was super cool, just like the Fonz. All he was, I have a picture, too, that's, again, on social media. You can go see those. Alyssa Milano was there. She spoke on a panel about the Me Too movement and um, where that goes after Kavanaugh and all that. And she was really sweet, too. Nice, nice girl. I, I wanted to get her on on some audio, but we were in a green room and they don't allow you to really tape things. So um, I did not get a chance, but we did exchange information. I hope to get her on the show because I think she has an interesting perspective. I saw her on Chris Cuomo not too long ago and she actually can articulate her position quite well. So hopefully we'll get her on the show in the future. What else about Politicon? That was pretty much, pretty much it. We, um, we had a good time. So I guess if, if a Politicon comes your way, you should check it out one year. It's a, it was it was a good time. What else? Oh, so before we get into the um, into Amanda Carpenter's interview and and Sally's interview, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on with Trump. I've been a little off social social media this weekend because I was running around the conference and I had a lot of meetings out here in L.A. with stuff. My agents out here. So it's kind of a twofer. Um, but I've been paying enough attention to, to know that there are no riots going on out here in California. Yes, apparently Donald Trump during one of his rallies over the weekend in Nevada claimed that people were rioting in California over the sanctuary city issue. I haven't seen it. I've been here for days. What the hell is he talking about? But yet he goes on to talk about Democrats and mobs, but then he's trying to insinuate that his own supporters are rioting because they are pissed off about sanctuary city laws in California. Now, I don't agree with sanctuary city laws. I'm pretty hawkish on border border issues and, and immigration issues. I worked for a congressman from Southern California. I've seen the broken immigration system and what it does. It's a mess. So there are legitimate grievances. Sanctuary city laws, I don't agree with them either. There's legitimate grievances for um, policy. But what? Why does Trump have to make shit up? He just continues to make it up. Riots in California. There, there's no riots. and Nothing in the local media, none of it. It's completely made up. Why does he do this? Because he knows the immigration issue is one that mobilizes his base. And in the, in the, in the midterms, which are only two weeks away... It's all about turnout, enthusiasm. Democrats have been winning the enthusiasm gap, but it's been closing, mainly because of Kavanaugh. Uh, recent polling shows that Republicans, Republican men are plus 14 percent 
um, compared to Democrats on the generic ballot. Almost all of that has been post-Kavanaugh. But for women, there's a huge gender gap. Over 30% prefer Democrats. So it's uh, an interesting dynamic. Who's more motivated to come out and vote? So what is Trump doing? You're going to see, if you think his blitz of rallies the last week and a half, two weeks have been nutso, they're going to get more nutso the closer we get to election day. Because he's going to say and do whatever he needs to to scare people to death, get them all fired up, just like he did during the election, so that they go out and vote. I think it's awful, but effective. But we'll see how effective. But that's why he does it. He has a new slogan, which I will, whoever came up with it, I give them credit for it because it's a good one. Republicans are about jobs. Democrats are about mobs. Genius. In political communications, a simple phrase or slogan that you can repeat over and over again that gives people, gives the voter a visual, makes them relate to things, it's tangible, um, is, is brilliant. So whoever came up with that very simple slogan, kudos to you. Um, yet, I kind of think it's, well, what happened, you know, Democrats, you guys got to be careful. You don't want to give them fuel. And, you know, when you when you get out there and, you you know, do these in some of these rallies and things, it, it, it gives, not saying you shouldn't protest, but it gives fodder to Trump to say that. But then again, like Trump rallies aren't like mobs. Those people don't act like mobs. Of course they do too. But they, you know, they don't see it that way. So that um, that's very simple. And Democrats, frankly, they haven't found a message to coalesce around. They really haven't. Something that's simple that you can repeat and that people will remember that this is what Democrats stand for. Trump has the benefit of a solid rip-roaring economy on his side. The numbers don't lie. So they can claim credit for jobs. What are, what are Democrats doing? They're creating mobs, right? Someone came up with, we're not mobs, we're moms, which I thought was a pretty good comeback for Democrats. I think my Dean Obadala wrote a piece about that on CNN.com. That, but they've got to find they've got to find some kind of slogan, something that they can coalesce around because their messaging has been all over the place. Difficult to win elections that way. In 1994, when Republicans took Congress back for the first time in 40 years, Newt Gingrich came up with the contract with America, and it was a set of 10 bills that. Republicans promised that they would pass if they were given the opportunity to take control of Congress. They passed a bunch of them. Welfare reform. Um, uh, I think there was a, a crime bill in there somewhere. The uh, Tax cuts, a balanced budget amendment. There was a bunch of things. Term limits was in there. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, but it was something that gave people a tangible set of, a, of, of well, a tangible agenda set of things that they could, this is what Republicans stand for. And this is what we're running on. It was ingenious. Democrats have yet to come up with something like that. They're all over the place. And if that, that panel that I saw was in at, at Politicon was any indication, y'all need to get it together. Uh, what else is going on in the, oh, the Ted Cruz rally. Anybody see that? Oh my God. Ted Cruz. Look, I can't stand Ted Cruz. He just bothers me. Even though 
I, I there are conservative principles that I agree with him on and that he's smart about. He is what everybody can't stand about politicians. He's, you know, with that, the way he talks, the way he carries himself. He's a good debater, but it's kind of like, you know, hokey and he's not well liked in the Senate. And I just can't believe that Ted Cruz is campaigning with Donald Trump or Donald Trump came to Texas to campaign for Cruz. Even, you know, Cruz is in this um, reelection against Beto O'Rourke in Texas and Beto is on fire. He raised $38 million, which is unheard of for a Texas Senate race. He raised a shit ton of money and he's one of the hot new young Democrat, up and coming Democrats. He's still going to lose most likely in Texas. Texas is still super red. And I think Ted Cruz is up by almost nine percentage points now. Democrats thought they had a chance. I just don't see Beto's pathway to beating Cruz as irritating as as Ted Cruz is. And obviously my Democrat friends don't like him for other reasons, uh, you know, ideologically. But this is my issue, though. Does anybody remember when Ted Cruz ran for president and Donald Trump insulted his wife's looks? And then he also implicated Ted Cruz's father in the Kennedy assassination? Yeah. And then the nickname, Lying Ted. Donald Trump went after Ted Cruz pretty hard. Not only did he do that, he went after his family, his wife and his father. And Ted Cruz, before he dropped out of the presidential race, he had a pretty epic press conference. I mean, he just went all in. He didn't care anymore. He called, I mean, he he said how, you know, what a liar Donald Trump is and, you know, after he after Donald Trump went after his wife's looks, he called him a sniveling coward and told him to leave Heidi alone. That's Cruz's wife. I mean, Ted Cruz actually kind of grew some balls for a minute there. I was like, okay, Ted Cruz, <laughs> you know, you, you're still a little corny, but at least at least you told the truth about Donald Trump about what a liar, conniving con artist he is. And then you know, then he dropped out of the race. And now, two years later, what a difference two years makes. Ted Cruz is up there glad handing with Donald Trump, bro hugs and all awkwardly. Are you freaking kidding me? There is no way I would ever, I don't care. Like, where is your pride, Ted Cruz? Where is it? That is the perfect example of a politician who will do or say anything to get reelected. That's why people hate politicians for stuff like that. Where is your honor? You you stood up to your wife, stood up for your wife during the campaign, rightfully so, when Donald Trump disrespected her, and did he? And you stood up when he disrespected your father, and now you're all buddies again, all of a sudden because you you need him to solidify your reelection in Texas. That's awful. That that is just craven politics at its worst right there. I, it's hard for me to have respect for that. It really is. I mean, you know, politicians, opponents, sometimes you have a nasty race, you say some things, but it's never as personal as the way Donald Trump did it. I mean, maybe sometimes, but it, not usually. And you know, you can come back for that. You know, hey, look, politics ain't being back, they always say. But the way Trump, I mean, I just, I don't know. 
I don't know how they do it. I really don't. I, I just, I just couldn't. You know, Trump, he 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 just continued more out. You know, piling on with the lies during the rally. He said, "What is what is with Donald Trump and the size of the crowds?" It's it's like his. I guess it's like his modern day version of television ratings. Since he doesn't have ratings anymore, he's got to judge his performance based on the crowd size. I happen to think that the crowd size is a metaphor for something else he feels inadequate about. But that's just me. This time he said that there were 50,000 people outside waiting to get in. That was so not true. The sheriff there in Texas was like, there's 3,000 people outside. Just why do you have to lie about stuff? It's just, it just makes you look asinine. Just, it's just asinine. Oh, speaking of inadequacies, at Politicon, they had the baby Trump, the baby Trump float in there. <laughs> it's hysterical. I posted the pictures on my Instagram. It's, I, I couldn't stop laughing. It has a little cell phone in his hand. It's like a little whiny baby Trump float. <laughs> Imagine it should be in the Macy's parade. But anyway, so yeah, so, you know, Trump, you know, who's really good if you, I, I can't watch Trump rallies anymore. I can take them in maybe two minute spurts. I just can't stomach it anymore. It's, I can't, I'll watch it if I have to, if I have to talk about it on CNN, then I'll force myself. But if you want, if you want to follow someone who fact, fact checks Donald Trump in real time during these, during these rallies, because he lies out of his ass during these rallies all the time. Daniel Dale from the Toronto Star. He's on Twitter. I think it's at D Dale. He does an amazing real-time fact check of all the Trump rallies. God bless him because that is yeoman's work. (laughs) I don't know how he's not completely lost his mind by now um, having to deal with that every single day. It's exhausting just from my perspective. I can't imagine what it's like to have to (laughs) fact check in real time Donald Trump for an hour plus every time he does one of these crazy rallies. One other thing about this caravan and immigration, and then we'll get to the, the interviews um, with uh, Amanda Carpenter and, and Sally Cohn. You know, the issue of immigration, like I said, I'm out here in California and it's a real one and it's very complicated. And I've said this many times, uh, but I'm pretty tough on border security. And we have to, we can't let these folks coming in in droves like this. We just can't. And I, I feel for what for them and those who are economic migrants and want to come to this country and make a better life for themselves and their families. But we have to have a more organized system. We can't have thousands of people, you know, trying to get into this country. There's not a war going on. It's not Syria. Is there violence in Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala? Yes, there is. But that we we need to work on fixing what's going on in their countries, in their home countries. And if people are that fearful for their lives, they need to apply for asylum at their consulates. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough issue. It is, Uh, you know, I don't like the the family separation stuff way too draconian. I understand they were trying to do it as a deterrent, but it's just inhumane. We've got to find a better way, but this caravan that's coming up now from central America is manna from heaven for Donald Trump and, and the Republicans in the final um, weeks of this election. Why? Because it gives credence to Donald Trump's mantra about all these illegals are trying to pour in over here and we've got to secure our border, build the wall and all of that. 
it, it's the visual is not a good look for Democrats because it's Democrats are they do not have a good answer for this. Most people looking at what's going on, they're like the, the, this mile long trail of these of these migrants along a bridge trying to get in into from Guatemala into Mexico like that. Nobody wants to see that. And, and it's it's Trump can he can exploit it. People are very visual people. They see that. They say, look, he goes, see, that's why we need to build a wall. Blaming it on Democrats is kind of asinine, considering that Republicans control all of Congress. But it also goes to show you all, I mean, the House, the Senate, the White House. They don't need Democrats. They'll say you need Democrats in the Senate. Maybe to stop a filibuster, you need 60 votes. But if they were willing to work with them, I personally don't think Donald Trump wants to fix the immigration problem. He can use that as a folly. He always does as a foil. He, he, as long as he's got a boogeyman, immigration is one of them, then he can point to it, get people riled up and then motivated to go to the polls. So personally, I don't think he wants to solve the problem because if he did, we would have solved it by now. Immigration has been the white whale for years of legislation for, for legislation years. We haven't had a comprehensive immigration bill of significance since the Reagan amnesty in 86 we really don't want to do amnesty again. But that's a whole other discussion. I'm not going to get into that now. But I'm just saying politically, Democrats, if you guys want to counter this, you're going to have to come up with a with a better answer than let's abolish ICE. That doesn't go over well when you have thousands of people on camera looking, you know, heading toward the United States. It looks, it looks like a freaking invasion. It's it's not it's no good. And one of my very good friends she is a very experienced reporter. She's down there in Guatemala on the ground meeting with Guatemalan officials. You know, there's all kinds of people that are in this. When you have the groups of people like this, I mean, I know that Trump has run out and said um, that there's Middle Easterners mixed up in there and all this. Maybe, maybe not. He he didn't cite any evidence of that. But my friend, she's down there now and she's meeting with Guatemalan intelligence and they said there's people from Bangladesh, from India, from parts of North Africa that have come through their borders. It's easy to mix in when you have all those people. And when I worked on the issue of immigration on Capitol Hill years ago, I can tell you that there was, there was intelligence about Middle Easterners who were coming here illegally. This was about 10 years ago, back then. 2007, 2008. And they were assuming Spanish surnames, learning to speak Spanish and blending in with the illegal immigrants coming across. You know, it's not all that implausible. I just don't like the way that Trump throws it out there without any kind of, you know, without saying, well, this is why I'm saying this. He just throws it out there so it makes him sound like a jackass. But I can tell you, that um, coming across our border, especially when you have these large numbers like this, these people slip through the cracks and we've got to do something about it. We've got to do something about it. God bless our border patrol agents. Those guys, they, I don't envy them. They do an amazing job as best as they can, as best they can with the tools they have. I worked with the border patrol very closely for years when I was advocating for Agents Ramos and Compion to get them out of prison for shooting illegal alien drug smuggler and being unjustly prosecuted for it. And then they're some of the best. So 
I just don't like the policy and our border patrol agents. And you know, there's, there's human lives here. You know, these people that come over these with families and children and you know, the women sex trafficking and they get raped along the way and abused. It's, it's awful. There's a human side of this too. So we've got to do better. We've got to do better as a country. We've got to come up with a better solution, but caravans of thousands of people flooding up and it's organized by the way, coming up through Central America. That's not the way to do it, folks. Not the way to do it. You're just giving fuel to the fire and stoking more fear and xenophobia on the part of people who are not accepting of a diverse culture. It's, we got to do better. Need to decompress? I know I do. Politics, the midterms, Trump, it can stress you out. It does for me. The Kavanaugh hearings did. Sometimes you need to just decompress. I like to go and I like to decorate. I like to put flowers together. I like to decorate my house for the season. And another great thing to do is maybe decorate a room or find great looking blinds for your windows. That's why blindsgalore.com is around. Blindsgalore.com was the first place to buy custom window treatments online. So they know what they're doing. They've been in business for over 20 years. They've covered over 2 million windows. They're family owned and they know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it so easy. Blinds Galore creates 100% custom window treatments built to your exact measurements down to every detail. You get professional designer quality products, not at designer prices. In fact, they beat the big stop, big box store prices. BlindsGalore.com's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, and created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. So if you don't like your custom blinds or your shades for any reason at all, they're the wrong color, you measured them wrong, you don't like the style, you can just exchange them for free and get another one for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of their free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Whether you need more privacy to sleep in or just to fix up a room, BlindsGalore.com has just what you're looking for. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know that I, Tara Setmayer, sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. We're going to move on to my interviews at Politicon with uh, Amanda Carpenter and Sally Cohn, and I, I hope you guys enjoy them. All right, so we're here at Politicon 2018. It's my first uh, foray into this Politicon thing. It's been very interesting. The battles have been really interesting. And joining me today, I have my fellow conservative and CNN colleague, Amanda Carpenter, who just came from a rather eventful and spirited debate about evangelicals and Trump and the impact and um, she's joining us she's also the author of a book called gaslighting gaslighting America why we love it when Trump lies to us which is the perfect title because I think it just encompasses everything we see every single day coming out of this this White House so uh, perfect book to write but Amanda so what do you think about Politicon so far it's your first one too right you know it's hard you know you know We've been to so many CPACs. Right. This is actually much more 
loose and casual than CPAC. And so I'm very comfortable. I'm like, well, like, where, where's the fighting going to start? <laughs> well, there was definitely some fighting on your so. panel today. And it seems like today compared to yesterday. So today is this, the second day of Politicon for us. Um, yesterday seemed a bit uh, laid back compared to today. I guess maybe because of yes. who the headliners are. But people are a little more fired up today. No, definitely true. Um I thought, oh, it's Sunday morning. It's going to be the second right. day. People would be tired. No, our panel was all about just fighting about abortion politics at 12 noon on Sunday. Hello. Um, yeah, so I guess yesterday it just takes people in the West Coast a little bit longer to warm up. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yesterday was the warm up and today's the, uh, you know, game on. So um, on that, but you also were on a couple of panels yesterday, too, um, talking about basically life uh, in, in the Trump era as conservatives who have been, you know, not fans of him. Mm-hmm. Um what what stood out to you the most about the conversation so far um, since it, I don't think we've ever really had as many, I don't want to say never Trumpers, but as many people who were not supportive of Trump that were Republicans in the same place at the same time, like having a real discussion. What stood out to you most about that? The thing that I, I feel like I keep running into a wall about, not just the panel, but just generally in talking to people, they're like, oh, you know, you you are critical of Trump's, so that means you'll probably vote for Democrats, right? And I, I mean, and there's a fair number of prominent people who have taken that route, but I keep trying to impress upon, you know, my Democratic friends that if you are upset with Trump, the answer isn't just betting right. that disaffected Republicans will come to your side out of shame, guilt, and frustration. Like, you actually have to give something. And this is the same thing in 2016. Mm-hmm. I would talk to people and they say, oh, Amanda, I didn't vote for either person. I voted down ballot Republican and I left the top blank. And they said, well, how could you do that? I said, well, how could Hillary Clinton not make a play for a single Republican voter? And I would mm-hmm. talk to very prominent people in her campaign who said, well, you know, we put Michael Bloomberg at the DNC, I said, you've got to be joking. Right. Like, that that was your big grand right. over. And they actually thought that was the big grand right. overture. I'm like, you can't give me anything, like, maybe on, you know, um, homeschooling or education scholarships. Like, you, you can't make a single play besides right. putting Michael Bloomberg up, who, by the way, is a Democrat. Again, right. now, huh, shock, surprise. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's just like, listen. There's people who are Republicans who are going to be Republicans who will never sanction or endorse Trump. But they will never in their lives vote for a Democrat unless you give them a reason. That's right. And so, you know, you can suck it up and decide you want to give them yep. one or two reasons or we can keep playing ball like this. You know, I mean, I didn't vote for Hillary. I didn't vote for Trump. I voted for Evan McMullen. For me, it was a moral issue. I just mm-hmm. couldn't bring myself to cast a ballot for Donald Trump. I also lived in a blue state, so it was inconsequential. I mean, I lived in New Jersey <laughs> at the time, and um, Hillary won by it double might, digits there. might play there. in the Senate race this time, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. Well. I actually wrote a piece for CNN.com about that, that, that New Jersey hasn't had a Republican senator in my lifetime, and mm-hmm. I'm 43, and uh, there was actually a shot. But it looks like Menendez is starting to pull away yeah. because the, just the Democrat machine in New Jersey is so moment. strong. But, um, but again, the corruption and 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 um, you know Democrats were there was a whole thing in New Jersey they weren't even thrilled about Menendez being up again because of you know his his everything yeah yeah but he's probably going to win again um, but your the, your point to that is actually well taken because I was in a panel today um, it was a yesterday there was a panel conservatives what now and then there was a liberals what now today mm, mm. and i've got to tell you the rancor within the democrats and the progressives is Dude. real it's mm-hmm. so underestimated i saw like the bernie bros no the media doesn't i mean just, the media but it doesn't get covered because donald trump takes up so much oxygen but the fights there it was 
profound. It was profound. Like, uh, I mean, the liberal on liberal assault that I saw was, I was like, wow, like, it's not just on on our side. Um, They have some issues there, too, which makes me think that if if this is what it's going on there, I don't, do you think there's still going to be a blue wave? Probably in the house. I mean, listen, I think we're going to be in the same environment in December that we are right now with just gridlock. You know, even if the, if the blue wave, okay, they're not going to have, like, a governing majority. Right. It's going to be the same it is now. Seats will go up and down, whatever. I actually think Republicans may pick up a few seats in the Senate if you look at it race by race. Um, but they're just they're just not performing because they've never presented a clear, coherent, alternative vision to Donald Trump. Yep. And until somebody does that, and you can raise your hand and be Elizabeth Warren and say, oh, I want to fight him, I want to fight him. No, that's not the answer. You could observe everything that's happened so far. Someone has to be able to get into the ring with him and still present their vision without losing their dignity. Well, without, you know, and you have to take a punch. Yeah. All this stuff is like, oh, he's going to come up. Yes, yes, he's going to fight you dirty. And the only way to survive it is to know he's going to fight dirty. He's going to kick you in the gut. And you've got to take it and keep on walking. Yeah. That's it. And yeah. you can't get caught up in it. That's right. I mean, they, they during that, just the liberal panel today, they had a whole back and forth about the Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high. Yeah, yeah. that's and a saying real how, Yeah, and it, and it was during that panel, and it was very interesting to see five different perspectives, and all in the liberal, you know, the Democratic scale, um, debating that. And then mm-hmm. watching the audience members, who had a lot of Bernie Sanders guys, a lot of, you know, progressive, hard, hard lefters, being really rude and obnoxious. And my good friend Sally Cohn, who I don't agree with on anything with policy for the most part, but she's a great person, and um, she, we, we agree on common decency. Mm-hmm. And she stood that's up a, there. That's a revelation these days. Yes, it is a rarity. <laughs> One would, you know, you would think that that wouldn't be, but it is. And she stood up there and actually um, uh, reprimanded those guys for saying, like, hey, you're, you criticize the the right wing yep. mobs, but look at what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Stop it! And it was it was a fascinating thing to watch as a as a Republican watching that happen. Um, on your panel today, you guys talked a little bit about the evangelical vote and you know kind of the bargain that they made and why. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about what what you talked about on the panel from your perspective. The panel got a little heated because of Jesse Lee Peterson and, sure. and John and yeah. <laughs> Normal but, night at CNN. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but you brought some really good points that about the evangelical vote and, and why they were willing to kind of sell out some principles for, mm-hmm. po- for political advantage. Yeah, I mean, no one should pretend that Donald Trump is some like great Christian. He's not. But what he did is he pandered to the Christian community, and people realized that he would protect the Christian community in a way that Hillary Clinton was oblivious to hostile towards. And he has. Yeah, and there's probably four issues. Number one is abortion. Donald Trump is not pro-life. Right. But he said, sure, you want a pro-life judge? Fine, put him on a list. Right? He's transactional. Second one, he locked up the homeschool community. We know... Any Republican presidential candidate, you go to Iowa, you've got to understand the homeschool community. Mm-hmm. Those are people that organize, and they care a lot about educational yep. choice, whether it's the local level, whether it's at college. You have to understand that because they don't want to send their children to government schools, and they want a candidate that understands it or supports it. Um, the other issue is probably, oh, the Johnson Amendment, which is a tax exemption for churches who want to engage in some kind of political speech. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald Trump said, you know what, I'll repeal that amendment. And it's kind of like, I'll be asked how he's done it. He 
you know, he issued an executive order to relax IRS enforcement of it. Congress still hasn't repealed it, but, you know, that's enough to keep people happy. But and lastly, people don't pay attention to those details. They no. just hear, I'm going but, to yeah, change but it. But he's and they doing go, yeah, something on it, right. which certainly a Democratic politician never sure. would have done. And then the last one is conscience protections. You know, whether you're a pharmaceutical person that doesn't want to administer Plan B, whether you're Little Sisters of the Poor that doesn't want to um, provide abortifacients with your health care. I mean, I don't think Donald Trump ever internalized that, but he knew enough to say, like, okay, I'll go along with that. Right. And so they say, okay, then he's our guy. The Democrats will never do this. And this is where I get back to the Democrats. You have to understand, like, these are actually important issues. Right. And you might not be on the right side of it, but the fact that you're so hostile to it, that makes you a non-starter. That's correct. Non-starter for trying to bring even moderate Republicans mm -hmm. over to Democrat side because they go, we're, no, they're crazy. We're not going over there. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I'm one of them. I've, I've teetered back and forth about whether I can stay in the party with some of the things that have gone on. I've still well, decided to mean? stay. It's like so funny. It's like, oh, are you Republican? I'm like, right. well, yeah, I'm still Republican. It's not like I pay party dues or something. Right, that's like, true. What's the mean to leave the party? Like, oh, I'm ripping up. Like, I don't even yeah, have yeah, a yeah, membership yeah. card. Like, it's so funny when people are like, I'm leaving the that's party. That's a good point. You actually did nothing except for write an op-ed. Right, Like, right. really? Well, I mean, you know, well, we I worked mean, on the Hill. I mean, unless you're actually like, we a member of the RNC. Right. We but, like, I don't have... That's true. Don't we don't have a membership card. That is a, actually a great point. We don't have a membership card. Yeah, it's not a country club. <laughs> right. There's, well, uh, trust me, there's no benefits. Right. That's right. We do have the we have the Capitol Hill Club, but it, that's no, not I country don't even, club. I, can I go there? I don't I even know. know. I, know. I, I don't I, even know. I joke and sometimes think they don't they won't let me in anymore because I've been so critical of Republicans. But too many of my friends still have memberships, so we go and drink there. Uh, um, okay, <laughs> we have more of a Republican membership than yeah. I ever did. So okay, I guess you would be sacrificing right. something. Yeah, okay, yeah. I take it back. Take it back. Um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your book cool um gaslighting america explain to people what gaslighting is so i tell people imagine you're walking down the street and it's a beautiful day and some guy walks up to you and says hey how's the weather and you say it's beautiful he goes no it's not it's shit like what are you talking about the sky is blue no it's green it's gonna storm and you look and the sky is blue and then maybe cnn has a debate panel to debate the color of the sky <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like you can see with your own eyes it is a beautiful day, but one of two things happens. Like you start to doubt yourself and say, okay, well, I can see why they say the sky is gloomy and you succumb to it, or you kind of get hysterical. You idiots, right. what's wrong with you? The sky is freaking Why blue. can't you see? Are you stupid? Are you insane? And they go, no, you're hysterical. Right. You're insane. And so that's gaslighting. And, um, and you can apply that to pretty much any political right. situation in the last two years. That's right. Because <laughs> that's what Trump does on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You know, don't listen to what you see or hear. Mm -hmm. and he actually said those words. I know. Uh, which is pretty remarkable. I know. I was like, damn it. I would have put that in the first page right. of my book. But right. I had to go with George Orwell. Right. Right. <laughs> and, I, and Orwell is actually someone I quote all the time. And usually when I start this podcast, I, I quote an Orwell um, quote that says, you know, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Yeah. And um, that that's always sat with me. And I and I was quoting that before even Trump. And yeah. um, I, I, and it's amazing how apropos it is now. Mm -hmm. um, but even the, the term gaslighting, um, it originated from a play, right, or a book where it was mm -hmm. like it was a husband who was gaslighting his wife, trying to make mm -hmm. her seem crazy with dimming lights in the house, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, to cover up the murder that he conducted because he would go up there to kind of 
plot things. And every time he'd go up, she'd see the lights dim because the lights would dim when he'd go up and he'd say the lights are fine. And eventually, like, she kind of went crazy. She went crazy, yeah. Uh, and and I, that metaphor for what the, the political climate that we're in now, um, it, it, it rings true more and more every single day because you start to que- you do start mm-hmm. to question who's crazy. Am I crazy or are they crazy? Mm-hmm. Were we crazy all the time? I'm not sure now. Yep. <laughs> I'm not sure now mm-hmm. because when I used to every people we know and love used to always agree yes the, the sky is blue and now they're trying to tell me the sky is purple and then I'm the asshole because I'm telling you no it's blue. <laughs> Right? I know. We've lived this life, haven't we? I mean, I, do you have people in your family or have you lost friends over this? Because I know I have. No, because I didn't have friends to begin with. <laughs> She's lying. Everybody loves Amanda. <laughs> Friendships, like, has it caused I mean, any I mean, conflicts uh, for you? I know, it's a professional level. Like, you kind of have to say, I want to walk away from this. Like, yeah. this should be a time where any Republican that, you know, worked on the Hill or something should be welcome to pursue jobs in the administration. Well, that's pretty much closed out. I mean, yeah. I, I made that twice a long time ago. I wrote a blacklist um, of people that were in elected positions supporting Trump. So I kind of yeah. knew. I knew at that point, yeah. like I was closing off those yeah. opportunities, yeah. and that's fine. Um, but you know, you just, you just, no matter what you do professionally, you have to be able to sit with it and be okay with where you are. So you know, I'm happy. You know. It's unfortunate. I don't understand what the path some of my friends have taken. Yes. Um, but what, what are you going to do? We're already going to do. Things can change very quickly again, yes. I think. And, you know, if they're ready to repent. I will welcome them with open arms <laughs> if that ever happens. <laughs> well, I think that uh, the term repentance is, is a good one since that's asking for forgiveness and then making the change so that you don't yes, do it again. Yes. So I think that that change, to, in my opinion, tough. would be... Um, Republicans having to pay a price in order to course correct. Yeah, and I don't know what that I think price that's will a, be. I think I it has know. to be electoral. Yeah. They have to lose elections before oh, they're going to... Oh, for gonna... sure. For sure. That's the only way anybody... Yeah. But even then, it's like, do they really mean it? Like, or right. It's just, yeah. Wait, which part were they... Which part wasn't true? Mm-hmm. Was it this or that? And then you... Then it goes back to the skepticism and cynicism that people have had for a long time about politicians and elected officials. It's just doing or saying anything to get elected. Yep. Well, on that note, we've, we have not solved the, the world's problems, but the next podcast, stay tuned. That's right. That's right. We'll have Amanda back as as the as the presidential election starts to kick in, which which is tomorrow. hard to even imagine. I know. As soon as we get through midterms, it's going to be right. We're going to head head first into presidential election stuff as soon as the new year happens, and it's going to be the perpetual campaign again. Yep. Um, we still feel like we're in the one, the last one since Trump never lets it go. Every single rally, he's talking about the greatest wins ever. I'm the greatest victor in the history of human life. Two effing years it's been already, dude. You won two years ago. Stop. Like, why? So be, let's be prepared he's for perpetual keep those campaign season. Wherever he lives forever. That's <laughs> yes, right. Well, Amanda, thank you for your time. Again, the book is Gaslighting America. Why we love it when Trump lies to us. It's out now. Go out and get it. All right, so here we are, day two, Politicon. I have my travel buddy yo, yo, yo. with me, Sally Cohn. So happy to reunite, reunited in a Would you say so you're token good. lesbian? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, look, everybody's still giving me Sorry. shit about the Sorry, token just... comments. I'm not giving you shit for anything. No, it was good. It was good timing, though. Love it was you. good timing. Thank you. I thought it was a good joke. Yeah, it was good. Right Sally's good, good for, for, for a good one-liner. Good. We've traveled all over the country together. We did point-counterpoint college tour stuff during the election, and I hope but we get to do it fun. again. I know. We're a good pair. We can come to your campus we and can. teach your kids how to have civil political debates. 
<laughs> which we're going to talk about right now. Speaking and we of eat all your barbecue. Well, that's true. North and Carolina, the University of Wilmington, the best barbecue we had on Sorry, the road. Sorry, did you want to have a serious conversation? Yes. Okay. Since you talked about civility mm. and civil conversations. So Yo. Sally was on a panel today um, about liberals, you know, what now liberals, and it got pretty heated in ways that I was not expecting, actually, as a Republican watching that. And it was... Um, your reaction was really passionate. Now, you have to understand, Sally's the nicest person ever, but once she gets Aww. passionate about something, look out. And that happened today. Did I get mean? You did not get okay. mean. Right, cool. You were passionate. I was and you were triggered, yeah, you, as they say. Yes. Yeah. Coming from a progressive, she was triggered today. I was triggered. But yeah. it was righteous not anger. Not a word I use like No? No? Righteous anger. Thank it you. was righteous anger. And um, talk about it a little bit. Well, what, what triggered you today? Because people are being dicks. Oh. Uh, you know, first of all, interesting point. Interesting point number one is that you uh, on the right always think that us on the left have our hey James Carvel. James Carvel just just passed by well, us. But thank you, I'm trusting <laughs> it's because you washed. <laughs> <laughs> James Carville just passed by us and high five Sally with a wet hand and she he just as he left the bathroom so she's making sure that it was a clean one. You gotta love it. I Impromptu mean, I interviews. I check, yes. You know, yes. I'm gonna go wash my Fair. Um, so, here's interesting thing. Everyone on the right tends to think the left has its shit together. Everyone on the left tends to think it has, the right has their shit together. So, by the way, no one has their shit together. Yeah. It's just number that was, one. That was apparent. Right. It's very, but it's like yeah. the same, you hear the same, like, very next panel, people are like, well, the, the right is always really good at, like, I'm like, no, they're not. Like, they actually don't. And they think we do it better, mm -hmm. so whatever. Um, you know, in general, listen, Politicon attracts is a, there is a certain WWF quality yes. to it and people come because they want to fight and yes. sometimes they seem to they, forget breeds that they are they in the audience not on the panel right. it's like you want panel you get on a panel but this is not your panel and so they were really yelling jeering whatever in particular at my friend Zerlina Maxwell but just in general they were just being mean and it was a lot of Bernie people right I love their passion a reminder I was a Bernie supporter mm -hmm. but that quality uh, you know, it, listen, I mean, it, it, that quality hurt Bernie, hurt their campaign, hurt them. I mean, and I don't think people, somehow they want to blame the DNC or they want to, but they don't want to actually take, nobody wants to take responsibility for their own piece of the problem. And what's true is that the behavior of a lot of, not all, but a lot of Bernie supporters turned people off to supporting their candidate and will again if they keep behaving like that. You said something about that, um, you know, you the problem with what the Bernie guys were doing, and there were a bunch of Bernie bros in that audience that were very rude and obnoxious and um, cutting off the speakers and just, and that's what, and Sally had enough. And you said something about how, you know, you can't, the problem is that you're, you say that you disagree, but then you disagree and say that you hate that person right. or something. And that's like, that you're not moving the conversation along that way. You're behaving in a way that's counterproductive. Well, also, I mean, it goes back, this goes back to the primary. It's like, well, if you're going to treat, during the primary, if you're going to treat Hillary supporters like crap, crap, do, do you not want them to, is it your goal to win over Hillary supporters? Right. So... What? Like, if you what are your you goal doing? is to win elections, and by the way, the same thing translates now. Yeah, like that is why I have a more I have moral reasons for not demeaning and dehumanizing and and smearing Trump supporters. Deep moral reasons and practical ones. Like mm -hmm. I don't want them to be Trump supporters in two years. Right. So I'm going to treat them in ways that hopefully creates the space for change, growth, possibility. 
as opposed to just attacking people and demeaning people and, uh, you know, giving them an excuse to dig in their heels. Now, Sally wrote a book about this called The Opposite. The, the Brilliant pivot. I have a, the Opposite of Hate. The right? Opposite of Hate. Yeah. A field guide. Yeah. The Opposite of Hate. A field guide to repairing our humanity. Available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. And, you know, that was, it was interesting because I was on the road with her when she was writing the book. So um, it was, I'm very proud of Sally Aww. to see it come to fruition. Uh, it was awesome. But I think that you're people probably weren't expecting a book like that to come from you if they didn't know you. It wasn't a shock for me because I got to know you and I saw that you really do come from a good place. And even though as a progressive and conservative we disagree on policy, we always agreed on common decency. And I think that's what made our little road show Mm -hmm. successful because people saw that we could spar respectfully and and agree on things too, which people needed to see because it was so such a rarity in this in this the way this climate is and it's only gotten worse well but like listen here's a, here's a great example right because i mean first of all huh, the issues we're fighting over in politics are incredibly important people's lives are at stake mm-hmm. people's incomes people's well-being is at stake i don't i don't ever want to prize civility for civility's sake right, right. like you had much more civil politics at a time when Democrats and Republicans together were working together, working to pass Jim Crow laws and <laughs> segregate. I mean, like, so it's not like, yeah. well, let's just talk nice to each other. That's yeah. not that. To me, it is, it's a matter of principle. It's, look, if the world I want to create through elections, through politics, through policy, is a world in which everyone is treated equally and with dignity, mm-hmm. then it would seem to me to be automatic, that I should try to, maybe not always succeed, but try to, right. in the actual way I do that work. Right. Treat everyone, and I mean everyone, with equality and dignity. But she tries. There, there were some F-bombs today during the, during the panel. Well, <laughs> but that was passion. It wasn't meanness. No, she wasn't attacking. But it's even a good example passion, you because, like, you know, sometimes they're like, you know, I love you. Yeah. You're my ride or die. And you aren't always civil you're always civil toward me. You aren't always civil toward other people. And I'll be like, come on. You know, and you know, I'll give you shit for it. We have different right. definitions of civility, well, however. That's, that's but that's valid. But that's something that, that Sally and I have a healthy debate about. But I'd rather be able to engage with you. <laughs> yes. And there are certain people who think like, you know, never the two sides shall meet. Right. And and that that's like you're venturing into enemy territory. And I'm like, look, I'm not going to change your mind on any number of issues. Right. Right? That's true. Maybe one day on one issue, maybe you're going to change. I don't know. Right. But if I can get you, if you and I can both, (laughs) through the work we do together and having, like, learn to not treat the other side like total, utter, worthless crap. Right. And then set an example for others for how to do that. Look, I think that's a victory. Is it, you know, it's not the sun and the moon or something, but it matters. It does because again, it's it's civil discourse, and I think when with, that when Sally says that there are times where I'm not civil with people, I think it's the it's that she's a little more forgiving of people than I can be. <laughs> Listen, I and love so, you. Just yeah, the way no, you. Yeah, no, I know, I, I know. love you just the way you are. That, yeah, You'll right. talk smack but, about people, and I'll have to like on your right, side, and I'll have I'll, to I'll defend 
dumb. Yes. You have me defending That is actually a hundred. That is a hundred percent true. That's a hundred percent true. Am I allowed to curse on your show? Yes. I that's really fucking whack. <laughs> that's funny that she that she's defending those the people that I've criticized on my own side, and I think I'm just a little less forgiving of people that I feel are. You're more Jersey. Yes, that is definitely the Jersey edge where I just don't have time for foolishness and for people I think who are a little bit disingenuous. <laughs> I call it as I see it, and and Sally's a little more forgiving than well, I am. I'm not. I'm gonna. St- I'm going to find a way to still hold them to task, but I'm not going to, like, write them all. I don't know. Yeah, you know what? I mean, whatever. But I, I think that's what you meant yeah. more about, right? Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Like oh, the way, not the way I debate is uncivil. No, oh God, like no, 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 and no. And I only made that no, clarification no, no. And, and because I'm people, you tend you know, to do this. You don't do it often publicly. Once in a while, you'll, like, throw some 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 serious shade. <laughs> um, but whatever. Sally with the is, parlance of the day. The point is, like... That, that I think it's important yeah. we engage. Yeah. And you know this in general, let me just say, yeah. this is in general the trend toward non-engagement. Right. Like, oh, we shouldn't invite so-and-so to speak. We shouldn't even talk to, we shouldn't, but it's like, well, I'm sorry. It's not even, by the way, okay. So you don't want to talk to Trump. You don't want to talk to Bannon or whatever. That's fine. I get that. I understand that. I respect that. And what matters is more that Trump people are watching. The Trump right. voters are watching. And they're watching how you treat and talk about. And, and what lesson are they taking about themselves? Yes. Right? When I attack and demean and dehumanize Trump, a lot of his supporters feel it's about them, too. Yes. And that is a problem. I love you, your little mic, by the way. Thank you. It looks like a sex toy. <laughs> oh, God. What is that? This is my producer Beowulf's idea, so I didn't have to lug around. Oh, my God. Beowulf is the best yes. name. I wish I'd had and he's an awesome son. producer, too. Beowulf. So Shout I out to Beowulf. name my son <laughs> Beowulf Cone. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that would have been amazing. You got to love Sally Cone. All right, sorry. Um, I'm going to have another dog. Ooh, that'd be a good dog name. Oh, wait, no, sorry, Beowulf, you're a, a human. <laughs> yes. I have a, um, my current dog is named, as you know, Sadie Pig. Yes. And so imagine if Sadie Pig had, like, a little tiny dog I think named that would, Beowulf. That would be awesome. I'm, I'm going to... See, these are the things... Out. See, the, everyone who's listening now, this is, this is like, a taste of what we're like when we come to college campuses and talk. We banter like oh this my God, also, all the time. Also, like, people are like? Yes. And God forbid all we did was to argue about politics. I know. I mean... God the, forbid... First of all, we both have heart die of heart attacks There's because it, you know it's just not healthy. But I, I think it's still problems. right. Yes, <laughs> some kind of an addiction problem to numb the pain. Mm-hmm. But the point I think in all of this, and even with your book, you know, the opposite of hate, and even with the panel today, the way you approached it is that you cannot become what you despise, mm-hmm. right? And there's a lot of that going on, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of tribalism where people are just retreating to their corners, and we're getting nowhere. So when Trump, when people People go after Trump and just call him names, then yes, his followers take offense to that too because it's so personal for them now. Because right. in my opinion, it's a cult of personality that they have been now associated with because they think he's their Correct. voice. I think that someone said uh, to me, I wish I could remember who said it. Sorry, um, but uh, but I was like, it was I don't think it was like in a Q and A. Someone said this recently um, that we should actually, in general, but especially in this moment, strive to be. More kind and, uh, or not, sorry, to be kind and generous toward the other, whoever the other is, the other side, the other group, the other, and actually be more self-critical, self-reflective, and hold our side more accountable, yeah. which is the inverse of what we tend to do. Right. Right? And it's, it's actually like if we look at the, you know, cognitive research on politics and partisanship, it's the actual opposite That's of what correct. we do, which is we make excuses for our side, yep. and we overhold the other side accountable when in fact I'm not saying don't this isn't about whataboutism or whatever but it's like be reasonable and also I have the best chance of actually making my side better 
Right. Right? right. So I should be holding my side accountable. Uh, that's, a, that's a point that I've made about our side, um, about it's the importance of self-reflection. And it's really yes. difficult to do that because it's easier to blame someone else than to look internally and say, well, where, how am I responsible for this? And I, you know, what can I do to change it? A lot of people, they don't want to do that because they don't like what they see. So it's easier yes. to project onto someone else and distract from what's going on. And it's so much easier to, you know, attack the other side when you feel perfect. Right. <laughs> that's right. Right. Don't, you know. Nobody's perfect. That's true. Well, I gotta go pee now. Tara. Yes. Well, that's it. That's the way we end <laughs> interviews with Sally. Everyone. She's gotta pee now. So <laughs> Sally's leaving the building to go to the bathroom. Sally Cohn, thank you for joining me. You know I love you. I'm hugging you now. We're, it's a hugger. Okay. We're huggers. It's We're a hugging. hug. It's a hug on a podcast. It's a hug. So did you all? Book? Did you all feel it? Her did book is out. It? Her book is out. Go get it. It's called The Opposite of Hate: A Field Guide to Repairing Our Humanity. <laughs> go out and get it, guys. Thanks, Sally. Bye. So those interviews were so much fun. Um, I love Sally. <laughs> she's, she's just too much. <laughs> I hope to get her on again. We, we had a lot of fun. Um, but um, uh, to wrap up uh, this week's edition of Honestly Speaking, since I was out here in LA, I wanted to feature an organization called Street Symphony. Now, I was uh, coming back from a very boozy brunch I had after the Kavanaugh vote. And <laughs> last weekend or whatever it was, it feels like a month ago. And I was listening to Sirius XM, the POTUS channel. And there was an interview with this gentleman named Vijay Gupta, who founded this organization called Street Symphony. And it picked my interest because I am, um, I love classical music. I grew up playing violin till I was about 18 and so I come from a musical family. So I'm really appreciative of the arts and theater and I just find music to be just good for your soul. So it, 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 it piques my interest because it's a program that they founded in 2011 where they, where it's a community of, a grassroots community of over 70 world-class musicians and they go out and they perform monthly programs um, at Skid Row shelters and county jails here in L.A. Now, Skid Row is the, the area of L.A. where there's a lot of homelessness. And so since like 2015, they, they've been doing this yearly performance of the Messiah Project, which is um, excerpts from Handel's Messiah. And they do it um, at, at uh, this something called the Midnight Mission in Skid Row. And it features stories and performances from people that are affected by homelessness in LA County or recovering from it. And, you know, I think the homeless, it's, it's, it's an issue that is, is often forgotten. We sometimes just walk past people on the street, but those are still human beings. And I have a heart for the homeless. Um, my mom, I helped my mom start uh, a faith-based program down in the Florida Keys to help the homeless. So I've worked in that space before and I've seen the way if you care and you and you just invest a little bit into people, what a difference it can make to change their lives. I saw my mom change a lot of lives. It's not easy. It's time consuming. It's, it, it's, it can be, it can suck the life out of you because you're giving, giving, giving. And not everybody's as appreciative as you would think for helping them. But more than not, they are. And even if you just save one life, that makes it worth it. So when I see programs like this, like the Street Symphony, I think they deserve to be highlighted for what they're doing and using music to do it. I think that's fantastic. 
last year they got a really large grant and now they have um, a teaching artist program. So what they do is they pair professional artists with members of the homeless community or um, recently released inmates that are trying to get on their feet, you know, halfway house programs, things like that. And they pair them in an effort to give them to help mold their artistry because there are so many people with so much talent that's never tapped and in, in these, in these communities. So uh, kudos to, to street symphony program out here in LA. I, I reached out, I wanted to go and see if I could interview them in person or see their program in action. It didn't work this trip, but I hope next time I come out that I'm able to, to link up with them and, and learn a little more and maybe actually witness one of their performances. But I, I just think it's a great program. So Hats off, kudos to the Street Symphony out in Los Angeles and Vijay Gupta who founded it and his team of musicians who are dedicating their time and, and talents to help cultivate and motivate people in the homeless community and people in, in, in the criminal justice system and using music to, to do it. I think that's great. So that's this. That's it for this week of Honestly Speaking on the road out here on the West Coast. I hope you enjoyed it. Join me next week. You can always follow me on social media at Tara Setmayer on Twitter, at the Tara Setmayer on Instagram, honestly underscore Tara on Instagram for, I mean, I'm sorry, honestly underscore Tara on Twitter for the podcast. See you next week. Mm-hmm.